our mission, and we choose to accept it, is zero injuries and zero environmental impact. A healthy workforce and environment is key to our nation's continued success. The Mission Zero podcast is a deep dive with the industry's top experts into the health, safety and environmental aspects of today's workplace. Our mission is to be a platform for new ideas and strategies that, when implemented, will improve our safety, our environment and how we govern out business. We are making the world safer and we're going to have fun doing it. And welcome everyone. This is the Mission Zero podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Peoples. Uh, this is another special edition. Uh, today, our guest is Tom Slocum Jr. He is running for the Texas Railroad Commission uh, election uh, actually tomorrow. Um, you pretty excited about it, Tom? Oh man, I couldn't be more excited. I've been waiting for, uh, to do this for quite some time, and I'm so happy to be able to be able to share my message with you today and explain what I'm all about. So thanks for having me on, Jeffrey. Oh, wonderful. No problem, buddy. Uh, generally with my guests, uh, I let them, uh, you know, I like them to tell a little bit of personal and, and professional history about themselves as, as much as you want to. Just tell the audience a little bit about you and who you are and where you come from and uh, what brought you to this point. Yeah. So, you know, um, my name is Tom Slocum Jr. And uh, my father, Tom Slocum Sr., he's an oil and gas man himself. I'm fourth generation. If you go back on my mother's side, that's where it all started. She's actually uh, she's actually fourth generation Texan. I'm fifth generation Texan on her side. My family on her side came through Indianola back in uh, 1880. Oh, so, wow. you know, we've been here in Texas for quite some time. And uh, my my father's side of the family, uh, if you go back far enough, they're they're from Louisiana. That's where the Slocum side is from. But he uh, and his family came here uh, back back in the in the forties, in fact, and uh, were uh, he was born on the island, Galveston Island. So both of my parents are from the Gulf Coast, and naturally, uh, both of their families settled in and around Houston, and Houston's kind of been home. Uh, but I, I did uh, spend a lot of time when I was a kid in Brownfield, Texas. I was actually born in Farmington while my dad was up there pracking wells. And so uh, we, we, we did a short stint in Farmington and it was either Farmington or Alaska. And uh, he, he picked Farmington so he could stay closer to Texas. But we uh, we did that for a little bit while he was fracking up there for Los Alamos, putting in that uh, hot dry rock HDR system geothermal system, the only true HDR system in the world, really. But after that, we went to Brownfield, Texas, and that's where I spent time as a, as a young boy in Brownfield. And we were there uh, until 1991, and then went to Louisiana. I graduated high school over in Louisiana. Uh, my, my father got transferred by Halliburton over there. But long story short, uh, came back to Texas as fast as possible, went to Texas A&M on an Army scholarship, uh, and didn't end up using the scholarship because my vision went south and they wouldn't let me fly. So I decided just to go ahead and study hard and make good grades and do as best as I could. And I started working the wool field when I was a senior at A&M and never looked back and been in the wool field ever since and just followed along in my family's footsteps. Uh, didn't exactly plan on it, but ended up there and loving every minute of it and uh, graduated with a political science degree which, uh, you know, is not exactly engineering, but 
everything I ended up doing is really government work uh, to some extent because you're filing permits and you're having to comply with regulations and everything's done according to regulations. So Title 16, Section 1, Chapter 3, that's the oil and gas code in Texas. That's what the Railroad Commission uses. And that's what they kind of go by, uh, more or less, that and API recommendations. And so that is my specialty. And so I do know government regulations frontwards and backwards because my job depends on it. I know all this stuff. That's what makes me really the expert in this race when it comes to government regulations and operators, because I've been an operator twice with some other gentlemen. And you have to know what the regulations are in order to to be a successful oil company in Texas and not get fined and not get shut down and not get your P5 pulled. You have to stay within the regulations and and keep your bosses uh, from from getting in trouble with the state of Texas. And that's exactly what I did for several years. So I know what up operators are up against in Texas, but I also do work offshore and I know what they're up against in federal waters with the feds. And that's a whole different cup of tea. And that is some uh, really monotonous and uh, draconian regulations that they have out there that have really just slowed things up so much. It just gets worse and worse. And I know what direction, you know, if people go that direction, how it ends up. It's a sad story. You don't want to go that direction. But Texas, every now and then, we do have to make some minor tweaks to what we're doing. And we, we can always do a little bit better. And there's definitely places where we can do better. But that's kind of my background and how I ended up um, – in this arena where I could actually see myself becoming a candidate for railroad commissioner one day is because of my expertise, my background. I, I work on wells for a living upstream. I, I know this. This is what I do. Eat, live, breathe this stuff all day long, morning, yeah. noon, and night, in my sleep, in my dreams. <laughs> well, <laughs> you know? Well, you know, uh, real quick, I want to go back to something you said personally before we move forward. Uh you know, you were, um, you know, I hate as a veteran, I hate that that you didn't get to serve the way you wanted to. But, uh, you know, the Corps is, you know, being an Army guy, the Corps is one of the, you know, respect, most respected, uh, uh, I don't know, I guess I don't know what you would call it. Uh, it's academy, it's more or less. You academy, know, yeah. Kind of like know. a cadet, cadet Corps Academy cadet Corps. style, you, you know. There you go. Cadet Corps. That's the word. That's what I was looking for. And I was in the Army. Uh, you know, I went to uh, Texas Tech, and so I know a few guys from Brownfield, Texas, that you may know as well, but we'll talk about that offline. Uh, what what uh, currently uh, can you tell, tell us exactly what you're doing right now? I mean, in, in the oil field, what is your company? Yeah. Exactly? Well, you don't have to tell your company, but what are you, whatever you're doing right now. Yeah, I do engineering consulting work. Um, and so what that entails right now, is uh, I'm doing offshore work for one client in the, in the Gulf of Mexico, and I'm doing uh, land work here in Texas up in Wise County. And so the work in Wise County is a one-well job, but it's in a very environmentally uh, sensitive area. And the operator wants to make sure everything's done perfectly. No problems. Everything's done to the T. And, you know, there's going to be neighbors out there. It's in a neighborhood. It's next to a body of water. And so we want to make sure that there's no issues. And so I am working with them, um, you know, to make sure that that job is executed perfectly with the Railroad Commission and everybody else in mind and the landowners and the whole nine yards. 
And so that's, I do a lot of work like that on land in Texas. Sometimes the landowners even call me because they want to make sure that the oil company is doing the right job and they'll pay me. And so, uh, you know, and that not too many people in oil and gas have gotten that phone call, right? That's that's very few people get that phone call, but I get it. And so I, I feel like I'm doing the best thing I can for all Texans through my work uh, in oil and gas. But offshore, that's a constant reminder when I do my offshore work of how ridiculous these regulations can get. And so I'm doing offshore work right now, uh, drawing up well bores and doing procedures while I'm doing this race, by the way. I still have to do my job too, right? Yeah. So it's, it's, it's tough stuff to be able to try to have to do a race, statewide race, and deal with the federal government every day. <laughs> That's not easy. And the federal government does not make it easy. And you have to do everything perfect the first time. And you have to, uh, if, if you want to get RPMs, which is a, a request for permit modification, you know, it's it's a long drawn out process. It's, they're just, Bessie is just, the way it's built now, it's just hard to do business. Uh, and you have to have, uh, a lot more support and a lot more man hours, and it's just more expensive. So you know what? That's just Jeffrey. That's just it. The more regulations and the more unneeded necessary stuff you have, um, or the more necessary, sometimes necessary stuff you have to have, the more expensive it's going to be. And that's why offshore is just so expensive. And I, I, I get paid more to do offshore work than I do land work, and uh, that's part of it. It's more technical. And, uh, you know, but I, I know where I don't want Texas regulations to be. And that's, you know, nowhere close to that. Right. Um, you, you don't want it that that far off into the deep end. And you've got to know when is the right time to make a change to your regulations and, and how to make those and why. And you need to know what the long term effects of those changes are going to be. You got to anticipate everything that could possibly happen. And that's hard to do when you start uh, making massive overhauls. That's why it's important to make small changes uh, when, when you're talking about the oil and gas industry here in Texas. Yeah. So um, you are running for the uh, uh, Texas Railroad Commissioner. Uh, and for those listening that don't know, the Texas Railroad Commission in the state of Texas is wholly responsible for just everything cradle to grave that involves carbon extraction on any level licensing, environmental issues, safety issues, every single thing. Permitting is probably the most, uh, you know, noticeable thing because it's a, you know, that's where your your business and your and your money's made, but it's everything really. And it's about environmental safety. This is a, you know, the, our podcast is concerned with safety, but I, we, we also uh, are very pro oil and gas, right? So we try to find that perfect balance, but that's what the Texas Railroad Commissioner does. Uh so my question for you is this, you decided to run, what, what was it about it or what, what made you say, okay, well, I need, I could do better. And what is it that you intend to do when you're elected? Yeah. Well, you know, there's, there's several things that I would uh, do differently. Wayne Christian, um, you know, he fancies himself a uh, fiscal conservative or very conservative person and ran on uh, being very pro-life when he ran for railroad commissioner. Uh, I, I helped get him elected in 2016. I know this. And so um, I worked on his campaign here in Houston. 
um, and just as unpaid, just free, because I thought he was better than Gary Gates. And I still think he was better than Gary Gates. However, um, what Wayne Christian has done is he's failed to live up to the, the, the name of being a fiscal conservative. He's failed to live up to the firebrand conservative moniker. And I am happily taking that uh, from him right now and telling everyone I am the real firebrand conservative in this race because unlike Wayne Christian, I will never vote to tax you $3.4 billion on your natural gas bill and call it securitization. Okay, that is complete nonsense. Wayne will say it's not a tax. The gas companies asked us to do it. Does that make it not a tax? It's a tax. I don't care how much Wayne wants to dance around the issue. What securitization is, is a tax. And you know how I know that, Jeffrey, is because I actually asked people running for state senate in Odessa, at the Odessa Country Club, immediately after Wayne had just finished speaking, by the way. I asked him a simple question. I said, all of you people are running for an open state Senate seat out here in Midland, Odessa. This huge district goes all the way up toward Lubbock, uh, covers a huge area um, out to, out to uh, I want to say, uh, oh, heck, just, just west of Midland, or just east of Midland. Anyhow, huge area. What would you do if we ran into another freeze and they wanted to do another bailout? Would you vote to take that money out of our budget? that we deliver the money that we already delivered through taxes and royalties and fees and fines, all the different things that we add up every year, it's about 11 or $12 billion a year. And last year, in fact, we delivered a record 15.8 billion. That's $3.8 billion more than we usually deliver. So would you have voted to say, Hey, you know what? Y'all need to work inside your budget. Or would you have voted to tax Texans? And all three people running for that open uh, Senate seat had to explain for two minutes each how Tom Slocum is right. That was a tax. And I will not vote for that. And I would not have voted for that. All three of them. So that was my first test to see what do people really think about Wayne Christian securitization. And Republicans everywhere in Texas believe like I believe that that was a tax and they will not vote for it. I cannot get any Republican on record saying that was a good idea or that they would vote for in the future. And that's how I know Wayne Christian is not a fiscal conservative and he is not the furthest right in this race. In fact, he's way, way more toward the middle when it comes to our taxes. But also when it comes to making smart environmental decisions, Wayne Christian gets an F. Wayne Christian has voted to put oilfield landfills in places where we know Republicans are going to sue the Railroad Commission. This happened in Midland. The name of the company was the High Roller Group. And after they got their permit approved, they gave Wayne Christian $100,000. Now, they so gave other people... You're saying it's a pay-for-play type of situation. I, I believe the optics look absolutely terrible. And if the public looks at that and the public thinks it's pay for play, well, then that's bad. And I think that's kind of where it's at. You know, I mean, it'd be like, let me explain to you this, Jeffrey. If if I'm a railroad commissioner and Chevron calls up and they say, hey, there's going to be a big vote next week. We want to give you a a million dollar donation. You know what my answer is going to be, Jeffrey? I'm going to tell them, no, that's absolutely crazy. Now, what if I go ahead and hear a Chevron case and I vote with Chevron or I vote in their favor, or, or however that vote is, right? Uh, and then Chevron calls me up next the week after and says, hey, we want to give you a million-dollar donation. And what do you think I'm going to tell them, Jeffrey? You think I'm going to say, oh, yeah, go ahead and send the money right on? No, I'm not going to tell them to do that, because I know 
the people in the public would think I'm crooked for doing so, right? I mean, isn't that not obvious? Yeah, I mean, so well, I, well, I've got a quick question for you because um, you said it was, and just so my audience knows, uh, not everybody here is uh, listening is is highly tuned to the uh, you know to the intricacies of the oil and gas business, right? So, what is an oil field landfill? What is that? Yeah, oil field landfill is where you take drill cutting, shavings, anything that comes from an oil field. Uh, it could even be produced water. It could be anything, anything at all that needs to be disposed of in what we call a class three injection well, or maybe a class two or a commercial injection well. So if you're operating injection wells, then you have the ability to put this stuff back into a slurry form like a mud or a liquid and then dispose of it. And uh, it's a very expensive process and companies make a lot of money doing this. And we have to have oil-filled landfills, okay? If there's good places to put them in Texas. There definitely are. We, Texas is huge. Of course, we're going to have good places to put oil-filled landfills. But we also have areas of Texas where you would never want to put an oil-filled landfill. And Jeffrey, I bet you you could probably name a dozen places where you would never want to put an oil-filled landfill. We could play that game. You know, like, I don't know, Galveston Bay, you know, uh, Galveston Island. Uh, you know, downtown Austin, right? So, or, so uh, you're you saying know. this permit was given to an area that it never, it was not a good environmentally safe area, too high of a population. Is that what you're, is that what you're saying? I, you know, Christy Craddock voted no on, on that permit for a reason, because she knew that the populated area around this was going to have issues. They would file lawsuits and the, the even Republicans would be included in that group of people. And the optics would be absolutely terrible and it would cost taxpayers money. So instead of uh, doing what's right and not putting the state of Texas in a position where it's going to cost taxpayers money to fight a lawsuit. What was done instead is Wayne voted yes on something where he knew there would be legal issues, where he knew taxpayers would have to waste money fighting something for years on end, probably while this company wants to get their permit. And it's just going to cast Texas in a negative light and give us more negative coverage in the news about Republicans suing the railroad commission and landfill permit issues. And why are we even doing this to begin with? And God forbid any of these things get approved and built where they shouldn't. And then we actually have problems. Now those problems might not be 20 years from now, you know, one Christian might be dead and gone. Who knows? But in the meantime, one Christian is literally selling out the state of Texas with his campaign donations, every time he takes money to do something where we know we're going to get sued and we know there's going to be problems. It's just not smart. There's so many other places in Texas to put these things. And if you're going to be in the business of building oilfield landfills, I don't care what the name of your company is or who you are, you should make sure you purchase land in areas where you're not going to have a problem doing due diligence and making sure you can get your permit approved, right? It's that simple. Just do your homework before you go build these things, people, and make sure you don't buy your land in places where you know you're going to have problems. And then we won't be in this situation. Gotcha. But that's yeah. it. Yeah, got gotcha. you. Um, so a couple of, um, and, and again, uh, we're, you know, more of an environmental side of the question. I realize there is, you know, the Texas Railroad Commission's job is a very all-encompassing. Like you're, you're thinking of the environment, but you're also thinking of the Texan, right? And so... Um, 
the some of the issues on the environmental side that has come up that's kind of been addressed and and, and that I like to address uh, and and you can go about them in whatever order you want. But one is uh, old, out of date pipes that may be um, um, that may not be inspected properly, that may not be had maintained properly. Another one is um, orphan and abandoned wells that, um, that that may have some issues of integ- uh, well integrity below the surface. And uh, also, you know, I think a lot of Texas or Texans will be interested to, to hear everyone running uh, opinion on um, the grid, right? It's, it's, it was a global story, you know, because, um, you know, it was a global story. What I'd like to hear about on that from you is what is your interpretation of what happened and what, what can we do and what will you do to fix it? But can you start um, by given the state of where we are on inspecting these pipelines, these old out-of-date pipelines that still may have um, liquid in it, eating away at it, and, and, and are we are we doing well with that? Are we doing bad with that? And what can we do to fix it? Can you address that yeah. one first? So they, yeah, so uh, the Railroad Commission did do a smart thing. They brought in a guy named Ted Wooten, and he's the director of critical infrastructure. And I got to meet with him over the summer before he actually got the job. And I know Ted is very well qualified for that position. I want to make sure that the Railroad Commission actually listens to the experts like Ted when they're brought in. And I don't know if that's happening right now, to be honest with you. Um, I don't know if Ted's satisfied with, uh, you know, what what they're doing there, if they're taking his recommendations or not. And I want to make sure that uh, whatever Ted tells them, that's taken to heart. And, and I know what Ted is telling them is that we need to go out and audit all these critical points. They've, they've identified the critical points. I know that. Uh, so that's step one, but they have to go out and they have to make sure that all these critical points are um, weatherized and winterized to the necessary degree. And then when we have cold weather events, <clears throat> we need to be measuring all of these critical points actually the entire time. But we, when cold weather events happen, we have to really pay attention to the data. And so I think we need to, uh, you know, probably introduce uh, some better data collection for these critical points and say, hey, if you're operating these critical points in Texas that provide power to Texans, then you have more responsibility because natural gas is now the base load power. It's not coal fired power plants. And so how is Texas different than it was 20 years ago? We rely on natural gas for power. And it's so funny today, Warren Buffett said that they were going to get out of natural gas power by 2050 altogether. I laughed my butt off when I heard that. Uh, I don't see that happening anytime soon because we're just using more and more of it is what's happening for our power because these renewable sources are not reliable and you have to have something there. And what's going to be there is natural gas. We can't put up nuclear power plants fast enough. That you can't get even get a permit for one in like 10 or 12 years. It takes forever just to get the permit. And then it takes another 15 or 20 years to build it. So, you know, there's there's simply a lot of reasons why our natural gas midstream critical points have to be taken care of because our grid, it doesn't matter if it's the summertime or if it's the wintertime, has to be able to deliver this power. We don't have coal-fired power plants anymore. Buffett's shutting those down too. It was in the Bloomberg article today, shutting down coal-fired plants, shutting down all natural gas-fired plants by 2050. That's his plan. you know. So he's virtue signaling, I believe. But at the same time, 
um, really, you're just putting more and more stress on our natural gas infrastructure like you never have before. And it's going to get tested like it's never been tested before. And we have to be able to pass that test. That's the deal. We don't want to get Fs. The Texas oil and gas industry is not here to get failing grades when things get rough and the proverbial, you know, quote unquote, you know, shit hits the fan. Right. (laughs) I've actually I've actually heard um, in a prior conversation your comment about data. Uh, I was pretty uh, taken aback by just how archaic the the Texas Railroad Commission's it's like basically going down and in, into a library and going through the, 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 the you know, the, the, the Dewey Decimal System or whatever to look for a book, uh, you know, and, and I, and I'm, and I'm, uh, I know a guy that may, you know, that I believe he's got a uh, pretty interesting system that may help with that, but, but that, that's kind of sad to hear, but uh, on, on the winterization problem, uh, you know, is, I've shared this thought before and I, you know, a, a practical approach to it to me is, okay, yeah, that was a hundred year storm. Uh, you know, do we need to, you know, how far do you go to prepare for something that, that far outside the outlier, right? So that You know, to, to make sure that doesn't happen, but we want to do the best we can within reason, right? And, and so having said that, what is happening right now to winterize the grid and to prevent that from happening again, and if nothing's happening, what will you do to make sure something does happen? Okay, yeah, it's, things are being done, right? It's not like nothing's being done. Believe me, things are being done. And uh, these critical points, you know, they, they're going to have to pass inspections. And you might be able to get a waiver from the Railroad Commission if you're deemed critical. And you could, there's a waiver process, but... I don't necessarily agree with giving everyone rate waivers just right off the bat at a blanket policy type of deal. I believe in actually having to determine, do these people really qualify for waivers to not winterize or weatherize uh, their, their facilities. So um, if you've been deemed critical and you've been asked to winterize or weatherize and you're uh, applying for a waiver, you know, you, you, you better be able to really explain why, why it is that you need that waiver. And I wouldn't, necessarily be granting everyone waivers that applies for them because if if you give everyone a waiver then it's not going to work right that's kind of common sense right i mean if 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 nothing's done you know that's not going to work some things have to be done period end of story not everyone's going to get a waiver uh it just can't work that way and uh it maybe there's varying degrees of how much what winterization and weatherization is done but there's going to be certain amounts of it that are, are going to have to be done because we can't roll the dice. Uh, it's that simple. And, and you can't, we can't run the risk. This is about risk management, really, at the end of the day, proper risk management. And you, you got to be able to properly manage all the risk associated with all this production being connected to our electrical grid. You know, oil and gas for so many decades – it wasn't even a factor in our grid really because we had so much coal and we had more nuclear and we didn't have the population that we have now in Texas. And it just, the natural gas just, yeah, it was there for people that need it, but it was never one of these things where it's like, Oh my God, we have to have it. Now we're in a situation where it's, Oh my God, we have to have it. That's how things have changed on the demand side. And so on the regulatory side, 
things are going to have to adjust in order to make sure that that demand that has to, to be there, the supply has to be there for that demand that that's met, you know, and there are no excuses. Uh, and there's, I don't want to get beat up for it. If I'm railroad commissioner, I'm sure SEC don't want to get beat up for that. If we run into another problem, uh, because it's going to get cold again, it's going to get cold again. It's at Galveston Bay's frozen over before in the eighties, it froze over. And uh, we didn't have massive blackouts all over the place because we were rolling coal. You know, we it was the, it was the eighties. It was a different story. But Obama's regulations and closing all these coal plants have forced us onto natural gas, and things have to change because of that. It's just the way it is. Yeah, a lot of infrastructure. Yep. Yeah. Um, another uh, item that come up, um, you know, in conversation, the, the these orphaned and abandoned wells, and it's probably not something that you know it's necessarily wants to be talked about, but it is something that kind of, um, in the prerequisite, I haven't learned everything about them I need to learn, which is why I'm asking, you know, everyone's opinion and especially someone running for the, for the railroad commissioner, uh, position, you know, the way I understood it was, is there's a lot of capped wells out there that, that aren't done properly, that aren't maintenance, that aren't inspected properly. But the biggest problem in the, well, I guess a compounding problem to that would be the fact that some of these are completely, um, or I guess it's the orphan ones, that a company has gone out of business and there is no company of note to take care of the actual well, making that well fall on the state of Texas. So I guess my question to you is two-pronged here. Number one, how do we how do we make sure all of these wells and there, and there is, like you said, stated, there's no good data system for that. And you support updating that. I like that. Um, and there's no, but how do we ensure they're inspected timely and properly, but also how do we keep this from happening? Because if, if this, if, if something's wrong with these wells, if something has to be redone, if the pipes need to be replaced, if something needs to be done with these wells, if they're orphaned, I think is, or, uh, or abandoned, I'm not sure which one it is, but one of them requires you, the, the state's going to pay for that because it falls back to the state, therefore, ergo the taxpayers in the state. So my two-pronged question there, you know, how do we how do we maintain them and how do we somehow figure out a way to keep this from falling on the citizens of Texas pocketbook? Yeah, well, we need to eliminate all of them. That's the deal, man. It's real simple. We need to eliminate all the orphan wells in Texas that are on that list because every year we're getting about 1,400 wells a year. And guess how many wells the Railroad Commission plugs about every year? It's about 1,400. So we're getting about 1,400. We're getting about enough money every year to handle that, give or take. And so the only way we're going to be able to progress forward with, without problems for all these orphan wells is to go l- eliminate all 6,000 plus of them that are on the list. That way we can work within our budget every year that we're getting, which is roughly somewhere around 30 million. I think they're trying to increase it to 50 million a year to plug orphan wells. When you say get rid of them, can you, can you explain we need that to plug a little bit? Them. We need to plug yeah. them. And, and so, or we need to give them to people that are going to put them on their, uh, P5s uh, and and take ownership, give them to oil companies and say, here, they're yours. You got to take them and plug them. If you're, if you're going to use them, you got to fix them. If you're not, you got to plug them. And so we got to find ways to get all these wells off that list. This is all liability for us. So I I plug wells for a living. This is asset retirement obligation. And if an oil company goes bankrupt, 
The money does not go to the Railroad Commission. It goes to the state of Texas, to all these politicians that stick their fingers in it in Austin. And they figure out how much they're going to vote on to decide to get the Railroad Commission. It does not automatically go to the Railroad Commission. So one thing that needs to happen is they need to write a law that says if an oil company goes bankrupt, that bonding money goes to the Railroad Commission. Just like we need statewide bonding for wind farms. And if a wind farm goes bankrupt, that money needs to go directly to an agency in Texas that will go take down those windmills. It doesn't need to go to politicians in Austin. But we need statewide bonding for wind farms as well. But so with orphaned oil wells, though, that bonding needs to go to the Railroad Commission. It needs to be tied to the well bore if a company does go bankrupt, right? And so it costs about $25,000 to plug a well. We need to do these cheaper. There's better ways to do it, cheaper ways to do it. I want to help refine the, the plugging program at, at the Railroad Commission and do more with less and uh, get more bang for our buck. That's one thing I want to do. But also, <clears throat> I would like to see our legislature find a way to write a big fat check to the Railroad Commission to go ahead and plug all these orphaned wells. That that would be nice. But if they're not going to do that, then people need to donate money to nonprofits, one of which I started. But there's three of them in Texas. And there's more nationwide that do this. They plug orphaned wells because the st- their states have not set aside enough money to plug all the orphaned wells. They so, haven't, they haven't man, dealt with Let me stop you there real quick. You said there were um, six um, 6,000 of them. In Texas um, on the list. In, in, a, in a, at a cost of twenty five thousand, so that's um, quick math on that. Um, I'm thinking hundred hundred fifty million, I guess. Yeah, and right, then you got stuff that's in the water too, and structures and pipelines. So just throw on another fifty fifty million on on top of that, and you're so looking you think- at at least minimum two hundred million. So Texas has a $200 million environmental yeah, minimum, problem. Minimum. It's yeah. probably much higher than that because there's a lot of wells that we don't even know we have. For example, uh, I was with a company back in 2014 that was drilling wells in Beaumont, and we were trying to drill a new well, but there was an old well that was in the way. And the drilling manager came to me and said, hey, this guy, Texas Richards, he said, hey, Slocum, uh, you can go out there and get this well taken care of. It's in my way. It's in it's in the way of the rig. I said, "Well, hell, it's not on any map. There's no API number for it anywhere." Oh yeah, they're all over the place out here. Everybody knows this, you know. And so I go do the research, and this one's not on the map, and we figure all this stuff out. They go to circulate it clean, and you know this amazing, great looking oil comes out of it. And yeah, we just plugged a damn good oil well, you know. <laughs> I mean, there's that hadn't been produced in probably you know eighty years or something. But it, it was sitting underneath the tree and it was all covered up and nobody knew it was there. And so there's wells like that all across Texas. We don't know how many wells we really have. Really, all the operators in Texas, they should get like six years or five years or something and say, hey, you know, you got five years. You need to go over every square foot of land on your leases and document every wellbore that's there and give us a report. And that way we know where every hole in, in the ground is in the state of Texas. Well, that yeah. would be very helpful. And, and uh, give them all the time in the world so there's no excuse. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and yeah. just say, yeah. this, is, 
this is what you have to do if you want to remain an operator in Texas. You have to complete this survey. And then okay, at least so- we know where every well is, and then we've got a way better idea. But until people actually go out there and do that, and they're required to you know, run over their whole land and do an accurate survey, we're never even going to know how many well bores we even have in Texas because there's so many that were drilled illegally and just drilled and not permitted. And, oh, yeah, they're everywhere, all over the place. And um, different subject I wanted to um, let you comment on because I just read, uh, you know, an article where you had uh, made, a, you know, made a statement about it. Um, <clears throat> before I let you go here, you um, you, you mentioned the, the bonding uh, situation with the windmills. Uh, I guess it's you, you said windmills there, but I think your your opinion on the matter is a little larger than that. I think it involves most um, what people would call renewable energies. Can you tell me? Can you tell the audience? I guess what that pro, which, what what's going on and and why you have an issue with it and what you're trying to what you're trying to do well, with it. Most of this stuff is not made in America. That's the first problem I have with all of it. And then the second problem I have with it is that our taxpayer money is subsidizing the the production of this stuff and the transport of this stuff over here and the erection of it all over the place. So not made in America, our taxpayers are paying for it. Double whammy right there, right off the bat. Number three, these wind farms, they, they call them California Condor Cuisinarts. <laughs> over in california (laughs) because they kill so many condors and they actually had to fix them to where they turn off during the day so you got these these bird killing machines they have their own lobbyists these bird killing machines okay their lobbyists come from faraway lands like boston in in dc in san francisco and they come into texas they they fly into austin and they figure out which county judges and which county commissioners they're going to write checks to. They're going to figure out what county can I go into and get low bonding or no bonding for my next 100 windmills. And they figure out who's running in those races and who they need to make sweetheart deals with. Who's going to win? Who do we need to back? All right, let's write a check to Judge Smith because Judge Smith told us he'd give us a $1,000 bond. For the next 100 windmills or something outrageous, right? And so, you know, it's when it's done at the county level, uh, Jeffrey, what it does is it just invites corruption. It just, I mean, like on a grand scale. And so you have politicians and candidates just getting checks from these people. This is the Green New Deal. These are the ten- tentacles of the Green New Deal working their way into Texas politics right into the Republican Party, right underneath our noses. We're actually subsidizing the cost of the uh, demolition and the decommissioning of these winch farms when they do go bankrupt. And they're, what do you mean, Tom? Well, one went bankrupt in Oklahoma. Look at Solyndra. Look, Look at a lot of these companies. Just because you're in the green energy business doesn't mean you can't go bankrupt. So let's just get that straight right now. There's going to be wind farms that go bankrupt and the taxpayers in these counties are going to be stuck holding the bill for a lot of this because of rotten deals that Republicans have made because they wanted campaign donations. Sounds a lot like Wayne Christian, but that's what goes on in Texas all over the place. Yeah. The, you know, and I guess in a, in a very novice, um, uh, or, you know, I'm, 
novice way of saying it, I guess, you know, one thing about the, the windmills um, in particular, um, you, you hear the inefficiency uh, argument for them, but I guess I didn't even realize until recently, and that was this was around the uh, the great freeze of last year, that these windmills can't store the power they create. It has to be used immediately or it can't be used. Yep. Is that correct? Yeah. You know, there's not enough battery storage capacity. They can't make batteries fast enough and uh, there's no way to store that power. So, you know, there's, it's just so inefficient the way that they're operated on those grids. The wind power is just, it's just absurd really. And the fact you got to stare at these things at night when you're driving across Texas out there in West Texas, it looks like an alien invasion at night. All these red lights sync together, flashing together, hundreds of them all over the place. And you're driving for hours and you just see these red lights. And after a while, it starts messing with your head. You're just like, good grief, anything but these red lights anymore. And you pass it. And once you get out of it, it's like driving through a storm. You're like, oh, my God, well, I'm out of the red lights. I'm back to normal. Uh, you know, it's just it litters the skyline during the day and at night. People out there do not like these wind farms. They're over the wind farms. And when I started attacking the, the wind farms and saying that they we need statewide bonding for them, <clears throat> the Environmental Defense Fund started buying up ad time and airspace out in West Texas. And so, you know, they're they're so scared of having to deal with statewide mandatory bonding in Texas. Listen, I want to set the example here in Texas for the rest of the country before all these big wind companies totally mess over everyone in America. We need statewide mandatory bonding for these things and we need it now. And that needs to be a a major, major deal. And Republicans across the nation should be talking about this. And I hope, I pray to God that there's one thing that happens out of me running for railroad commission is that people pick this issue up and do something about it. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, Tom Slocum, Republican candidate for the Texas Railroad Commission. It's the day before the election and you gave us time. For that, I greatly appreciate you, sir. Most definitely. And thank you for having me on, Jeffrey. Even at this last moment, I appreciate it. And I hope people get this out. Uh, to, to hear it as fast as possible. So well, go ahead and that, let, her, let her rip, man. I appreciate it, Jeffrey. Most people that download the podcast almost do it the first 24 hours. It's it's pretty, like I would say 80% of the downloads come in the first 24 hours. So it's pretty it's pretty favorable to you that way. Um, wanted to, uh, before we go, can you uh, just let the audience know where they can find out more information about yeah. you and, and, and everything? Yeah, most definitely. Go to slocumfortexas.com or you can follow me on Twitter at Slocum for Texas. I'm on Instagram. I'm on Facebook. I'm on LinkedIn, Tom Slocum Jr. So look me up, connect, and find out more about me. But please, please go vote tomorrow, Tuesday, March 1st. It is the day. You're going to make an impact, or if you're listening to this on March 1st, today is the day that you're going to make the impact, and you need to vote in your precinct on on this day. It's not like early voting. You can't vote anywhere. you got to go vote in your precinct, and you need to call your friends and family in Texas and please tell them. Get the word out. Let's let them know that today is the day they're going to vote for Tom Slocum for Railroad Commissioner. They don't have to vote for anybody else. They can just go in there and vote Tom Slocum and and peace out if they want to, but please get get them to the polls. Let's put a real oil and gas guy at the Railroad Commission 
that drives an F-250, unlike the current guy who's a financial planner and drives a green Lexus. All right. That's the deal. All right. That's a, that jab right there could only happen in Texas. <laughs> All right. All right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I still got I still got the mud on my boots and uh, it looks like my truck just came out of the field. And, you know, if I don't win, guess what? I'm going back to the field, going back to work because that's what I do. I work in the oil field. I'm not going behind some desk in some suit. Yeah. It's not me. Well, thank you very much, sir. Good luck to you. And uh, thanks a lot. Thanks, sir. You have a good one. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the show and accept the mission. Please subscribe to the Mission Zero podcast on your preferred streaming service and be sure to give us a five-star review.